Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Judy Battalion, Ph.D. She's the author of The Light of Days, the untold story of women resistant fighters in Hitler's ghettos. One of the most extraordinary stories of the Holocaust and World War II has remained hidden until now. The daring resistant efforts of Jewish women in the ghettos of the Nazi occupation. Judy Battalion shares the acts of defiance and rebellion of women who saw and acknowledged the truth of their time, facing an inevitable death, work together, and risk their lives daily in the fight for justice and liberty. Uh, Judy reveals the ingenuity and tenacity of a handful of astonishing brave women, underscoring how their movement was larger and more organized than the annals of history have recorded until now. She has Her essays have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Forward, Vogue, and many more publications. Welcome to the show, Judy. Nice to have you on. Oh, it's so nice to be here. I, I'm. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, it's a great book. It really is. I guess what I'm, you know, there are several books that have come out just at this particular time about the resistance, about, as you say, uh, the ghetto girls, as you describe them in your book. Why do you think that's happening now? I mean, 72 years later, 75 years later. Yeah, that's a great question. I actually think there are two reasons for that. Um, one of them has to do with the social zeitgeist. I think that we're, you know, we're interested in revealing these hidden women's histories. And there's just been a lot more uh, interest, a kind of renewed feminism in the last few years that's, that's made these books more popular. Um, and, and, and just generally, people are, are intrigued by women's stories, and in particular, women's stories of rebellion and of organized defiance. Um, on the other hand, I also think that um, some of this has to do with the fact that the women themselves, in especially World War II survivors, often didn't tell their stories until much later in life. And they, they themselves silenced their own stories. And they came out sort of maybe 15, 10 years ago. And now we're seeing books and work based on those testimonies, based on, on those tellings. Um, and, and researchers and writers like myself have kind of taken those testimonies and, and are now producing books based on that. Well, in your experience in talking with some of these women, and why do you think that is? Why do you think they silence themselves? Well, you know, was it too painful to talk about? I mean, I know a lot of the soldiers during World War II, uh, I went back to Normandy many years ago, and uh, one of the guides said, you know, the some of the men who fought in World War II really never talked about it until they'd gotten their 70s or 80s, and then they began to want to talk about and tell their stories. Is it a similar kind of thing? I don't know. Yeah, it is similar. I found that in my in my story, these Jewish women who were resistance fighters in the ghettos, um, they 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 silence themselves for several reasons. Some of them tried to tell their story early on and felt that they weren't believed. Uh, some of them were they were accused even of having sort of fled their families to fight. Um, some of them were accused of collaborating or of sleeping their way to safety, um, and all those factors kind of made them repress their tales. Um, these women also 
felt tremendous survivor's guilt. I'm writing about women, though they had traumatic and dramatic life-risking experiences, they, they often said after the war that compared to their survivor peers who had been through Auschwitz or, or other camps, they, they actually felt that they hadn't suffered that much. They, they almost felt they didn't have a right to tell their story. Um, and then I think, you know, the people that I write about in my book, they were so young during the war. They were teenagers in their early 20s. And when the war was over, they had the rest of their lives ahead of them. They had no family, no home. They, they didn't even have a nationality. They were often refugees living in new countries. And, and I do think for many of them, they needed to repress their stories in order to start fresh, in order to, to, to create new lives. Um, many of them, often writing about women, they felt this cosmic duty to have children, to almost repopulate the Jewish people. And I think in that case, too, they wanted their, their children to grow up in an environment that was normal and happy. Um, and, and so for all of those reasons, they often silence th- their own stories. Okay, let's talk about some of them. I mean, there are a lot of stories in the book, obviously. Uh, tell us, uh, l- let's highlight a couple of the stories, a couple of the women's stories, what they actually did do, um, because they did a lot of, and and so many people um, know nothing about this, nothing at all in terms of that there was a resistance. And sometimes they even talk about the Jewish people never resisted at all. And why did they go to the camps or why did they go to the cha- uh, gas chambers without any kind of resistance, which is not true. So tell us, let's highlight a couple of those stories. Sure. So let me start by saying that I, I, I focus on Jewish young Jewish women who are part of organized resistance movements, and their acts really span span the gamut. So you know, some of these women were in charge of secret um, schools, secret even summer camps, taking care of orphanages, helping rescue and hide children. Some of them were writing underground bulletins and editing and distributing underground newspapers, and then some of them were blowing up Nazi trains, shooting Gestapo men, guerrilla fighters uh, in Warsaw, in the ghetto uprisings, flinging Molotov cocktails and blowing up Nazi tanks. So there's a lot of different activity. Um, One of the roles that I, I really focus on in the book is the role of the courier girl. So, for instance, my, my central character, Renya Kukielka, was a courier girl, and this meant that so she, these girls, they, I say girl because they were young. Renya was 18 when she took on this, this underground job. And these, these young women were, were messengers and smugglers, to put it lightly. Renya did trips between this southwestern uh, Polish town of Bijin and Warsaw. And in these trips, she pretended to be Christian. She left the ghetto, and she traveled by foot and by train, bringing information, false Aryan papers, money. Um, She also smuggled 
weapons. She helped arm the Bedjin underground. She met weapons dealers in the Warsaw Cemetery. She bought guns from him. She taped them to her torso. She was smuggling bullets and explosives. And she also helped rescue Jews. She helped a few people. She took them out of the ghetto and brought them with her to find safe hiding spots. Do you think there's any particular kind of, besides they were young, the, the, as you say, girls, eight, you know, 18 and, and, and maybe even younger, but in their 20s, um, obviously they had a lot of energy and they had their whole lives ahead of them. But do you think there's any personal other characteristics that stands out that sort of that allowed them to be able to do this? Yeah, I think there, you know, I've thought about this a lot because I, you know, I've consistently asked myself the question, would I ever be able to do anything like this? I'm, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with their strength and with their daring. Yeah. Um, and, and I've thought about this. And first of all, these women were often, they were trained, they were parts of youth movements before the war. That's how the organized resistance came out of these youth movements, almost like the scouts. But these youth movements were more than that. They were um, uh, spiritual, intellectual, emotional, social training grounds for young Jews all over Poland. And many times, young Jews even left their family home to move in in communes with their youth movements. So they had skills. They, these youth movements, the ones I write about, they really prided, I mean, they valued pride in your heritage, collectivism, self-sufficiency, strength. They were physical. They had um, uh, physical training as well. So I, I think one answer is that the values and capacity to collaborate that they, that they learned in these youth movements really helped them carry out this underground work during the war. I've also thought just in terms of personality and, and, and psychology type, you know, many of the women who, who did survive lived long lives. They lived well into their 90s, and, and, and that intrigued me as well. Was there something about that? I, 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 you know, I think one thing that many of these women shared was a strong sense of instinct. They trusted their gut. They were Actors, they they knew what to do in the moment, and they went for it. Um, my my again, my central character Renya, when I, I was interviewing her family, they kind of said as an off comment. Um, her son told me, you know, when she crossed the street, she didn't look left and right and left and right. She just crossed the street, and I I think a lot of them were like that. They they did it. They they acted on on impulse, and they and they went for it. Yeah, they didn't question, they weren't constantly questioning themselves. Well, I know that it took you, as you describe in the book, 12 years to write the book. That's a long time. So I guess the question is, how difficult was the project for you? To I know that your grandparents were in the Holocaust. I'm sure that it has somewhat of an influence on, on your writing this book. But, how, you know, what, what were some of the issues for you? Why did, why was it, 12 years is a long time to be writing the book. It is. <laughs> it certainly is. Um, it took a long time for many reasons. This was a difficult project. This was difficult intellectually. I, I had to make a, a history where there was none. There, it wasn't just that there was no history of Jewish women in the Polish underground. There's no real overall history of the Jewish underground in Poland. So I, I had to kind of create a 
a chronology. Um, I had to understand a, a very broad story. And, and so intellectually, it was a complicated project. It was also practically a very complicated project. I was working in with sources in, in I mean, a little bit of English, uh, Hebrew, Yiddish, Polish, a little bit of German. There was some Russian. I had to travel. Um, you know, it was, it was a, a complicated piece of work in, in that very pragmatic sense. Um, and then finally, of course, it was a difficult project emotionally. It, it, when I first found the original source material by accident that, that sort of led to this project, I, I was 30, I was single, I was living in London, and though I knew this was a spectacular story and I always followed it up, I, you know, I wasn't really ready to spend my full days in, as I said, in, in, in Warsaw, 1943. I mean, this is a very difficult period. And, and I was working from memoirs and testimonies that were, I mean, horrific in many parts. And it took, it took me longer because I had to sort of dip in and out of it over time. And it took until I was later in my own life to really, to really have the stability to... To, to make this a full-time commitment. Well, you say in the book, you talk about it, uh, uh, the generational transmission of trauma. So all the trauma that these women went through really plays out in the next generation and even the next generation. Um, talk to us about that, because I, I see that in, in uh, friends that I have or their parents or grandparents who have, who's grandparents were in the Holocaust, that that transmission of trauma, what does that mean, that generational transmission of trauma? So that's actually, I, my first book was about that, is a, a memoir um, called White Walls, uh, Motherhood, Daughterhood, and the Mess in Between. And mm-hmm. in that book, I talk from a personal um, perspective about how coming from a family of Holocaust survivors had what I called an emotional legacy. Um, my, in, in this case, in, in the case of that story, my, my, both my grandmother and, and my mother were pathological hoarders and, you know, suffered from a lot of anxiety. And, and I felt that that had been passed on to me. And I, I spent so much of my early life trying not to be like that and trying to turn that around um, which, of course, is not... Have you? I have to ask you, have you turned it around? You said in the first part, or, you know, uh, earlier in your life, trying to turn it around. Have you done it? Is it possible to do? Or how do you incorporate that into your psyche? Well, it, it, in, in that case, <laughs> you know, I did become a militant minimalist. Um, yeah. But, you know, in many ways, I was just reiterating some of the extreme behaviors um, of of those who came before me in my own minimalism, and then when I had a, a child myself, this you know sustaining that was was no longer possible, and I, I had to come to terms with with all kinds of mess. Um, have I turned it around? I mean, I, I've been aware of of my em- emotions, and I've tried to understand the. Um, they're the, the legacy of my own emotions and my own anxieties. Um, and, and I have tried to raise my children um, with, without it. But, of course, you know, it's, it, it takes time and it takes generations. 
Yeah. And yeah, I was going to ask you about your own children and uh, because that's another generation and had the impact on them or the impact as you see it on them. Uh, I don't how, how old are they? I don't know how old they are. They are nine, six, and one. Okay. <laughs> they're just beginning, yeah. So they're very young. Yeah, so it's it's hard to tell how I've messed them up already, but well, I'll check back with they'll me tell in you. Years and they'll yeah, tell me. Okay. They'll definitely tell. It. Yeah, they'll they'll get the story back to you. You don't have to worry about that. One of the things in that I just I'm going back to, to to the book now because I think one of the uh, one of the young women in the book talked about her feelings of which. I hadn't heard before her feelings of guilt because the Nazis were saying at the time, they're just going to exterminate all of the Jews, the systematically plan to annihilate all the Jews, as you say in the book, but that nobody believed it. And even when it began to happen, uh, the, the, the Jewish people or many of them themselves didn't believe the stories. And this particular young woman said she always felt that if she had believed the stories, if she had had uh, that, she would. She waited too long. That she could have done more. She could have saved more people. Um, I hadn't really thought about that before. But uh, so people who were actually there, whether they were Aryan or whether they were Jews, didn't even believe what was happening at the time in their backyard, in their own towns and cities. Um, so that kind of oh. guilt. Yeah. Go ahead. No. No. Please go on. No, I, 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 it was just interesting that, um, I, I, you know, we in in the United States will say, you know, well, we didn't know that that was happening. We had no idea, you know, and, uh, but to talk about actually in Poland, in Germany, when people were going to uh, these camps, uh, the people themselves, the Jews themselves didn't necessarily believe that this was actually happening. Um, well, it, t- it took time for them to understand what was happening. Of course, the Nazis were lying to them. They weren't telling them what they were doing. It was all, there were, it was all secret. It was all very deliberately done in secret. Jews weren't allowed to have radios or newspapers. Um, they, they didn't always know what was going on. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, these were, these were thriving. You know, one of my most fascinating parts of this research for me has been learning about Poland in the 1930s, before the war, because that's a period that's gotten so eclipsed by what came after. Um, but this was, these were thriving cultural communities. Jews had lived in Poland continuously for over a thousand years, and there had always been issues with belonging and anti-Semitism, and, and so they, that wasn't new to them, but this, but a, a massive genocidal plan was new to them. And you know, many people kept looking to World War One as a model for what was going to happen or how they should react. They, they, this was, I mean, these were sophisticated, large communities. So, so to, to kill everyone, this was. This made no sense, as it wouldn't make sense to to, to anyone now either. Uh, that was my next question. Can we relate it to some of the things that are happening today that we don't believe? The extreme right, the alt-right, uh, people like that becoming uh, who are now in Congress, um, that it's a very serious problem. Do you, do you think we are headed in a similar direction? Uh, obviously, it's a, a different uh, 
century, but uh, I'd like you to comment on that because there's a lot of that denial, I think. I mean, I, I, I'm not a political commentator, and I, <laughs> I, you know, but what I can say is that, you know, we need to be vigilant and we need to be very aware of what's happening around us and we need to face the truth. That was something that they learned in these youth movements and that why some in some cases it was the youth that really were the first ones to say, hey, this is real, they're killing us. We, we need to really face what's going on around us and be very honest and, and examine it honestly. Face the truth. I think that's really the key, isn't it? Facing the truth, which is yeah. what all of these, these yeah, what the, these women did, these ghetto girls. And in writing the book, were there any, well, you had one one woman who was the uh, sort of the, uh, what should I say? She's the main character. Um, any, any of them uh, besides her, let's say, who touched you in a way that you were surprised? Were there, uh, what were the surprises when you, talk to these women when you were in the process of of writing the book any you know you go in I assume with certain expectations and some of them are met and some of them aren't so talk to us about that so first of all I didn't talk to these women were had all died by the time I started writing the book so I was working with testimonies and memoirs um, and I met with many of their families but I didn't meet with them so so you were meeting uh, with the children of the yeah Okay. Yes, I was meeting with their children yeah, okay. and their grandchildren. Okay. I mean, everything about this project surprised me. This was one of those projects where I, you know, I would call my husband every day and be like, "Can you believe this? I can't even." I, I mean, I was surprised on a broad level by just the scope of Jewish resistance that I, I'd simply never heard of. You know, over ninety European ghettos had armed underground units 30,000 Jews joined the partisans there were there were armed uprisings at Auschwitz at several death camps at labor camps i mean it it was so much more widespread than i'd ever heard of that i'd ever that i'd ever knew about um so that was on a on a sort of broad panoramic level very surprising to me and, and then each of these stories each of these testimonies or or memoirs they were I mean, the, the the stories were truly, you know, they were they were page turners. I couldn't believe it. I I, I mean, I can share with you some of them. Um, for instance, we only have two minutes of, left. <laughs> oh, we only have two minutes left. Well, I know it went by really fast. I, I want everybody started. to read. I know we are just getting started. Exactly. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. Absolutely. So, in two minutes, tell us. Okay, tell a quick story, and then also tell us, as I said before. Um, Give us websites that we can go to also to uh, for the you know information about about the book. People should buy the book. The light. I just want to mention the book again. The light of days. The untold story of women resistant fighters in Hitler's ghetto. Uh, um, so go ahead. Two minutes. Uh, two minutes. Go. Um, yeah. Well, go. I mean, I- a quick one, I mean, you know, one woman, her name was Vitka Kempner, she was part of the underground in Vilna, and they sent her on a mission to blow up a, a, a German train. She was 19, she dyed her hair blonde, she slipped out of the ghetto every night, found the place on the tracks, her comrade, Rushka Korshak, found a book, she was smuggling Jewish books to save them, she found one about how to build bombs, it was in Finnish, they took it to the underground, their makeshift lab, they made a bomb, Vitka 
slipped out of the ghetto one night, put it on the tracks in this location that she had scouted, and blew up a, a German supply train and, and many Nazis who were on it. And this was the first act of a partisan blowing up a Nazi train in all of occupied Europe. This was in the summer of 1942, and it was done by a 19-year-old Jewish woman. So... Things like that <laughs> surprise me all the time. But please read the book, and, and you can find many stories like this, and you can find out more. Uh, my website is www.judybattalion.com, and I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Judy Battalion, and on Facebook at Judy Battalion Author. Great. It was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Great show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 